0: To Freedom Highway. It is Tuesday, June 14th at 9 o'clock here in Kingston, New York. I'm Nick Pankin. Thank you for listening. For the next hour, we're going to learn about a multimedia project that is coming out this Friday, June 17th. Songs of Slavery and Emancipation is made up of three components a book published by University Press of Mississippi featuring an introduction by scholar Robin D.G. Kelly and an afterword by Callie Okuno of Cooperation Jackson, as well as two hours of recorded music released by Jalapi Records and a film streaming online. This new project presents recently discovered songs composed by enslaved people and explicitly calling for resistance to slavery. Some originate as early as 1800 and others as late as the outbreak of the Civil War. The project also includes long-lost songs of the abolitionist movement, some of which were written by fugitive slaves as well as free black people, challenging common misconceptions of abolitionism. The project was spearheaded by musician Matt Callahan, and tonight we're going to listen to an interview I recently conducted with him, as well as several selections from the 31 songs, which are presented by Jalopy Records in a beautiful hardcover-bound double CD, containing new performances in a traditional style by numerous contributing artists. As the liner notes read, Songs of Slavery and Emancipation is a collection of songs composed and sung by slaves either preparing or commemorating revolt and resistance. To this collection is added the songs of the abolitionist movement dedicated to the eradication of the slave system. This album is meant to offer encouragement, to enable immediate participation in the singing and enjoyment of this legacy and to honor the great struggle of those who endured and eventually triumphed over slavery. As is well known, the Atlantic trade in African slaves lasted 400 years. From beginning to end and throughout the Americas, enslaved people organized resistance, escape, and open rebellion. Sustaining them in this long struggle was their music, some some examples of which are sung to this day. Historically and musically, this took particular form in the United States. Yet, while the existence of slave songs, especially so called Negro spirituals, is widely heralded, their character is often obscured by misunderstanding. Slave songs were not only lamentations of suffering or a beseeching of God for deliverance, nor conversely were the beautiful banjo and fiddle tunes for which the slaves were so admired and imitated only for distraction from a life of misery. The evidence presented here shows that, at least as early as the American Revolution, there were slave songs openly calling for liberty and revolution. Furthermore, there are songs celebrating heroes such as Gabriel Prosser and Nat Turner, as well as, and above all, songs celebrating the Haitian Revolution, such as this song I'm speaking over, Recognition March of the Independence of Haiti, which is track number seven. While the foundation and driving force was always the struggle of enslaved people themselves, the fight for freedom included free black people and their white counterparts. This broad effort brought forth a second group of songs, which were widely disseminated at the time, but are now largely forgotten. These are the songs of the abolitionists, the first of which appeared in the 18th century and continued to be written and sung until the Civil War. Following the American Revolution, the abolitionist movement expanded rapidly, Publishing songbooks to be used at public meetings. These songs not only express outrage at the condition of slavery, but call for militant resistance and the ultimate destruction of the slave system. There can be no doubt as to their purpose the abolition of slavery, the emancipation of African American people, and a clear and undeniable demand for equality and justice for all humanity. track 11 from Songs of Slavery and Emancipation, a song titled March On, sourced from a book published in 1880 titled The Story of the Jubilee Singers with Their Songs by J.B.T. Marsh. And before that, we heard the Recognition March of the Independence of Haiti by African-American composer Francis Johnson, written in honor of the then-recent revolution in Haiti where enslaved people successfully rebelled to liberate themselves and establish an independent state free from slavery let's hear now from matt callahan about this project songs of slavery and emancipation
1: i was born and raised in san francisco and spent most of my life there but um i was exposed therefore to a lot of different music music styles and um influences uh and i suppose that made perhaps was con- contributed to my interest in a diverse um, uh, range of musical forms, but also in terms of the historical background, where do these songs come from? That's just me. Um, in terms of this project, I think that that kind of interest, um, did, uh, play a part in my uh, discovery of certain things. In other words, my ear or eye were attuned to what I, you know, stumbled upon in, uh, in, in this case, in an antiquarian bookstore in San Francisco called Bellarium Books, where I actually found the pamphlet um, uh, written in, published in 1939, written by Herbert Apthacker called Negro Slave Revolts in the United States. And um, this dog-eared pamphlet contained the lyrics to this song. And that caught my eye immediately, even while I was standing in the bookstore. I was just glancing through it. Uh, and that actually was sort of the beginning of this whole project. It was referred to in Aptheker's pamphlet as a song sung at a clandestine meeting of slaves preparing for an insurrection in 1813. That's all there was no footnote. There was nothing. There was just this lyric and I immediately was struck by the lyric because it was overtly revolutionary. It was quite literary in character, um, meaning using sophisticated terms and so on. And I thought, and also the date 1813, this is way before Matt Turner and other more famous slave revolts. And um, that piqued my interest. It didn't launch the project immediately, but it certainly got me thinking um, about whether or not there were other songs of this kind and how they if there were that would challenge the uh narrative or the uh you you might say the conventional wisdom that not only did the slaves never write songs of this kind but they never revolted they essentially accepted their fate uh and it wasn't until the civil war that they you know abraham lincoln freed the slaves (coughs) excuse me and um uh that Rang a certain kind of bell with me for other reasons as well, which was that my interest in music and specifically African-American music, which has been a big influence on me as a musician, there was often this question, you know, of like, um, where are the songs, say, that are equivalent to the vast uh, uh, repertoire of Irish revolutionary songs or songs from other cultures where You know, they sing the praises of heroes that have fought the oppressor or have, um, uh, you know, outright calling for freedom and and revolution. Uh, That was a question for me. And as I started going further and making further inquiries, that's when I came upon The Negro's Complaint, the the song that you mentioned earlier. And that was in a book by John Lavelle, um, which I came upon well into the research, uh, called Black Song, The Forge, and the Flame. And Lavelle's thesis, which was actually developed as far back as 1939 himself, he'd, he'd, he had read uh, Abthecker's pamphlet. So I knew Abthecker's pamphlet was not that obscure. It was just forgotten. And Lavelle had read it and certainly had, you know, his own f- thoughts and feelings about these songs. But he developed a whole thesis that there were, in fact, 6,000 uh, songs, uh, Negro spirituals, if they, if you want to call them that, uh, that actually contained uh, these kinds of lyrics. And he went on to um, uh, essentially identify three qualities: the the demand for freedom, um, the the passion for justice, and the profet- prophetic call that this is going to change. That this was running through all of these songs. Uh, And, you know, you think 6,000 songs, that's a lot of songs. Where are they? (laughs) And uh, he mentioned some. And he mentioned in particular one, the Negro's complaint, which was actually written by a fugitive slave who became a minister in Philadelphia, Thomas Cooper. Um, And apparently this man had, you know, uh, come out of slavery, beaten you know, as a fugitive, went on to become a minister, wrote this this and other songs, and actually ended up preaching not only in in the United States, but in England and Africa as well. historian or a song collector or any of these <laughs> folklorists or I don't have a PhD. Um so one of the first questions that arose was why me, you know, and and why why didn't somebody else find these songs? And I uh, initially thought I would just discover that, you know, that they would be all neatly laid out and some other diligent scholar had already done the work that I was going to undertake Um, and in fact I consulted many folklorists, not one or two but many. I went to the Library of Congress and with the assistance of of Todd Harvey who is one of the uh, um, administrators there, did a lot of the research uh, that led to the the finding of these songs and I always posed the question, you know (laughs) why hasn't somebody else done this Um, and to get how that statement leads to this question about the conclusion. One of the things that I, once I knew that there was a project here, once I knew that there were enough songs to justify going further, I also realized that I want this to be published. I want this to come out. I want this to be heard and not only read. I want the songs to be recorded so that people could actually hear the music and 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 get the, the spirit as well as the intellectual um component what was in the lyrics there has to be a a a full body of work here that would be convincing as evidence um and uh, inspirational as music uh and furthermore contribute to the historical record, writing the historical wrong that is in, involved here. The wrong being not slavery in and of itself, although that is obviously a historical wrong, but the wrong of burying these songs, the wrong of hiding the, the, the rebellious spirit and the continual uh, effort on the part of slaves and their supporters um, in the north and, and even in the south. Who wanted to abolish slavery and eventually did succeed in doing that? Uh, because this, this for me is is like uh, crucial, uh, not only for Americans but for the whole world to understand what American music is, what what it actually consists of, and what what was a, a eliminated from the story about American music. Not to mention the 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 whole. Uh, the the real history of slavery resistance, and and how that shaped the country as much as other factors. You
2: can't keep the world from-
0: turner gain and ground which is track nine from songs of slavery and emancipation we are listening to an interview i recently conducted with matt callahan who spearheaded this project of resurrecting 31 songs that originate from the struggle against slavery in the united states and have until now been largely lost in the commonly available historical record Earlier in that segment, we also heard the Negro's Complaint, a song composed by Reverend Thomas Cooper about 200 years ago. Let's take a brief break now, and when we return, we'll hear more from Matt Callahan and more recordings from Songs of Slavery and Emancipation, which formally comes out as a 31 songs in a book, as well as a two CD set this Friday, June 17th, just in time for Juneteenth. We'll be right back. You're listening to Freedom Highway. In this hour, we are listening to an interview I recently conducted with Matt Callahan about his project reclaiming 31 songs from the fight against slavery here in the United States, which had all but faded into obscurity. The project is called Songs of Slavery and Emancipation, and it comes out this Friday in the form of a book with an introduction by scholar Robin D. G. Kelly and afterward by Callie Okuno, co-founder of Cooperation Jackson, as well as new recordings of the 31 songs, many of which presumably are recorded for the first time here and released by Jalabi Records, as well as a documentary film about the making of the project, which will be streaming online. And this Saturday, June 18th, if you happen to find yourself in New York City, you can head over to the People's Forum, where there will be a film screening, author presentation, and a performance of a selection of the songs. That's at the People's Forum, 320 West 37th Street in Manhattan, from 6 to 9:30 p.m. And you can find more information at arthistorypolitics.com. Let's get back to my interview with Matt. When I asked him about what these songs reveal, not only about the fight against the slave system, but also about the formation of American music.
1: Well, one of the one of the key components, which is something I mentioned earlier, is the the uh, the demand as opposed to the beseech or the pleading for freedom, the demand for freedom, the demand for justice and the prophecy as Lavelle spoke about it in the uh, Black Song that was contained in these songs, that this is going to happen, we are going to make this happen, march on children we all shall be free
3: children we all shall
2: be free children we all Shall be free. Children, we all shall be free when the Lord shall appear. Children, we all shall be free. Children we all
3: the blind enable the crippled to walk. He will raise the dead from under the earth and give them permission to fly. Children we all
1: a vital component of human existence and of music, of music, that it can never be overlooked. In other words, all music from the whole world or from any culture contains these elements. Not to say that all music is always about those subjects. It may be about love. It may be about um, laughter. It may be about rejoicing in one way or another life. But certainly there are going to be these Statements within any uh, any kind of music that have to do with the struggle to be free, and I think that the the fact that we we have these uh, the proof is here. First of all, that was the purpose of, of the project was to prove this that these songs are in this case not just music; they are evidence. They're evidence in a you know the court of public opinion or the the eye of history, um, but they're also interesting musically specifically musically because they actually themselves kind of change the or broaden our, our our perception or appreciation of the african-american musical experience as well as the the influences that were uh integrated over the course of 400 years of slavery so for example in this case you have many songs that were, were actually uh, musically, originally, church hymns, Christian hymns. They didn't come from Africa. They came from England, actually, in most cases. Um, but what the slaves did to adapt them and the, the, their, their performance techniques as well as their their uh, humor, their sarcasm, their spirit uh, changes. What the music does, if you can understand what I'm saying, what you know, a music designed to actually—I mean, in the case of Negro's Complaint, it's it, the music to which Thomas Cooper put the music, uh, the lyrics was the Old Hundred, which is an old Christian hymn. It's a very beautiful song, uh, but it was really, a bit, you know, simply a worshiping of God. And here it turns into the Negro's Complaint, and it's so interesting to hear how the music itself. Changes in a in a sense, the notes are the same, but the 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 feeling that the notes evoke is changed by by the the way it is being used, and the same goes for we didn't mention yet the abolitionist songs because the abolitionist you know the the slave songs which were composed by slaves or um, you know the that we know of, and and um, uh, strike that they were composed by slaves period, um, and the abolitionist songs which are a body of, of uh, songs that is actually fairly well known. That was not hard to find. There are at least 500 where, the, where the, the music and the lyrics are available in various collections and so on. But my purpose was to show how even the abolitionist movement has been uh, misrepresented and that in fact, the abolitionist movement was very closely connected to the struggle of the slaves. It was not just a bunch of white do-gooders in the North who you know, wanted to get rid of this distasteful practice called slavery. It, many of the abolitionists were themselves fugitive slaves or free black people who, by one means or another, had obtained their freedom. Uh, and they were also, in many cases, working people like um, Garrison and uh, William Lloyd Garrison and others who were actually quote mechanics. That was one of the names that they gave to people who were printers or tailors or worked in factories or so on and so forth. Um, And that in fact these lyrics, uh, the the lyrics to many of these songs were really militant and were calling for the abolition of the slave system on behalf of humanity and not just uh, you know. Uh, moral suasion as was, was used to convince, uh, you know, the government to, to do better. Uh, th- these were really militant calls for struggle to abolish the slave system. And you can see through these songs the connection to the, the, the slave songs themselves and the struggle of the slaves and how they culminate in the Civil War uh, which it very much is a, a result first and foremost of the rebellion of the slaves themselves, the resistance of slaves themselves, which gave rise to the abolitionist movement and the abolitionist movement which became so fierce towards the end of the 50s after the Dred Scott decision and prior to the election of Lincoln that it ultimately it turned the the, the Civil War into a war to abolish slavery And I think that this is this is the kind of, uh, where the music plays such a vital role in it is that we see not only a diversity of style, meaning lots of different kinds of music being used to, to convey these things depending on where people lived and what they were, you know, what their own milieu, uh, musical milieu was, but we also see it in terms of the, the, um, the, the relationship of these songs to the political conflicts of the day in other words these are all in relationship to the to what's happening so for example even the first song i found 1813 why was, it took me two and a half years to actually find the whole song and where it came from two and a half years and i needed the help of a historian to actually dig out all the 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 details well where did it came where it came from was that in, in the war of 1812 the british were offering slaves freedom if they would come, you know, uh, rise up against their masters and join the British forces who were sitting off the coast of South Carolina. That's the actual basis of it. And this insurrection that was being planned by these particular slaves um, uh, was to do that, was to to gather the slaves and have them rebel against their masters and go join the British. And it just happened that they were, in this particular case, the, the slave owner involved actually overheard them. Meaning the, they, there were a bunch of requests from, it was very common practice for the slaves to go to Methodist camp meetings. They were called out in the forest. And you know, so many slaves were asking the master to go. He got alarmed and he went out and listened to them. And he recorded these words. And what are the words? The words are to a song. What's the song? Hail Columbia, which was the national anthem of the United States in 1812, during the War of 1812. So obviously the slaves had heard Hail Columbia. It was, be, you know, brass bands were singing this song. It's the national anthem of the United States. And they take that music and they take those lyrics and they turn them into a revolutionary anthem. Hail,
4: hail the Afri-clan. Tell ye oppressed, ye freak band, who told and sweat in slavery bound, who told and sweat in slavery bound, and when your health and strength are gone, are left to hunger and to mourn. worth, pledge the bodies for the prize, pile them even to the sky. Swear by him that's always just, that no white foe with the hand, that no white foe with the hand, shall slave your wives and daughters more, all their hopes are fixed on heaven and you, that truth and justice will prevail, and every scheme of bondage fail. Thirty-nine. Your cause is just, so heaven ordains. To you shall freedom be proclaimed. To you shall freedom be proclaimed. Raise! Negro from his task, wrest the scotch from the hand, and drive each tyrant from the land.
1: That they were using the national anthem was clearly a kind of parody. And that's, that's how the people who reported on this, you know, the, 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 reporter, the person who witnessed it and wrote it down and then passed it on to another, another colleague or friend or something. And then it ended up in circulation. They, they called it the, the, the Negro hymn of freedom. And they said, this is a parody of sorts. They're, they're mocking this, this, national anthem which professes to be for freedom and liberty and all the rest of it, but is not. And so, you know, it, it, to me it just struck uh, such a chord of like the intelligence and the the um, perspicacity of the slaves themselves. They understood the, the difficulty of their circumstance. They understood how, how hard it would be to win a rebellion. So they waited for the opportunity that was presented to to do this, meanwhile there were rebellions going on on a, a, a continuous basis. I won't say every day or every month or even every year, but it seems from the from from the the beginning when when Aptheker's pamphlet begins, it's actually 1526. That's a long time before 1619, the date that most people think slavery started in America. Well, actually, in 1526, a Spanish Colonist was landed in what is now South Carolina, set up a colony and the slaves rebelled. The colony was destroyed. The slaves dissipated into the, who knows, they perhaps they joined the native people around there. It's not clear whatever, what happened to them. But in any case, that was the first slave, those were the first slaves in North America and they were the first slave rebellion. And from that point on, um, there were rebellions basically right up until the, the Civil War uh, which itself constituted one of the great, perhaps the greatest slave rebellion in the sense that 200,000 uh, slaves joined the Union Army and Navy and 200,000 more uh, fought behind the lines. In other words, escape, either were, you know, simply walked off the plantations or followed Sherman when when Sherman marched down uh, to uh, through Georgia and was freeing the slaves all along the way. There are many different ways and routes that, that, Slaves joined uh, the the fight. But again, this is written out of history. People don't see that. Uh, you know, it's the war between the North and the South. And there's all of this, um, you know, post reconstruction reconstruction of history, if you know what I mean. Um, things that began in 1877 and can continue right up through Birth of a Nation and Gone with the Wind and all of this kind of lost cause stuff. When all those statues, were erected, you know. Mm-hmm. Those those statues were erected, uh, you know, after Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. The ones that are being torn down yeah. and whatnot. And uh, and I think that th- this is this explains why the turn, you know, why these songs got buried was because they were they w- had Reconstruction succeeded, had Reconstruction been allowed to to uh, flourish and develop as as I wish it would, uh, then th- these songs would all have been celebrated by now. I'm sure of that. I'm sure that, that Nat Turner and a song about Uncle Gabriel, Gabriel Prosser, these songs were sung by the slaves themselves, so I'm sure that they would have seen the light of day. You know? But um, unfortunately, that's not the way history works. You know, It doesn't always go forward. In right. fact, it, it, often there's a, a forward thrust and then there's a retrogression. Right. You know? And we saw that after the Civil War.
0: Gabriel, the Negro General, the recording which appears as track five on Songs of Slavery and Emancipation, a song Matt Callahan found in researching obscure songs from the struggle against slavery, which was originally published in 1840. The song telling the heroic story of Gabriel Prosser, an enslaved 24 year old in 1800 who organized a large scale slave rebellion in Richmond, Virginia, which was put down before it was able to begin. We also heard Hymn of Freedom, dating back to 1813, the first song discovered during the course of several years of research for this project. And we also heard Children, We All Shall Be Free, another song published in the book, The Story of the Jubilee Singers with Their Songs from 1880. We are nearly at the end of the program, and with the time remaining, I want to turn now to Matt explaining the musical side of these songs, where the melodies came from, and then we'll also hear a couple songs from the abolitionist side of the collection, songs of slavery and emancipation.
1: With the slave songs, most of them, there was music. Some, there was not. In the case of a couple of the songs where there was no music, but it was so important to sing the songs, I composed music based on other songs. In other words, my purpose was to take the styles current at the time, and I studied, you know, other songs of the period, and compose a melody uh, that would be unrecognizable. So we got as close as we could. Some of the music did exist in tablature form because it had been collected by, uh, you know, at Fisk uh, University or um, someone somewhere, you know, had to put a tablature to it, or in other cases, it was actually originally a, a Christian hymn, so there was music to it and so on. As far as the abolitionist songs, it's different because there you actually had tablature. You actually had um songs in songbooks that were were published for for congregations to sing because they were using them as a as a agitational device, right? They they wanted people. So that was easy. You, you know, I mean, there were a few, I have to admit, there were a few I had to dig up. Uh, what the original source tune was because it's so obscure uh, but you know most of them are to the tune of the marseillaise or to the tune of scott's wahey which is a robert burns revolutionary scottish anthem or to the tune of dandy jim there are a lot of uh, of the of the songs that were, the abolitionists used that were actually blackface minstrelsy songs degrading african-american people but they were turned around in the same manner that the, the Hymn of Freedom was a, a parody of the US national anthem. And so they were trying to use this device to mock and uh, ridicule the the oppressor. And so some of those songs were easy to find because they're actually part of American culture. They're, everybody knows uh, the, the, the melody. As soon as you hear it, oh, I recognize that song. My-
0: Songs written by African American abolitionist Joshua McCarter Simpson in the mid 19th century, first "Song of the Aliened American" sung to the tune of "My Country Tis of Thee," and then "The Band of Thieves" sung to the tune of the Scottish song "Scots Wha Both recordings are on the abolitionist side of the 31-track collection "Songs of Slavery and Emancipation," which comes out this Friday, June 17th. And we've been hearing from the project's leader, Matt Callahan, tonight. And if you would like to know more, you can go to arthistorypolitics.com. Thanks for listening to Freedom Highway, and I will be back with you again next week with another episode.